Oh man, that's good. Mm-hmm. What's that called? There's unstrudels. It's a strudel on top of old smoky. <laughs> yeah. They're like s- slightly stale, but not in a bad way. Vanilla-y mm-hmm. pigments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Matt, where did you get this? They're like Miller uh, wafer noodles. Sir, all, same place. Same place I get What's the brown. Uh, Saraga. It's an international market. Uh-huh. It's in Columbus, Ohio? Mm-hmm. Do you like, um, oh. do you like um, pineapple? Sure. There's a pineapple version over here. I'll try this one. Well, folks listening, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, Matt Morash just—he uh, went to the international store and just broke out all these treats for us. This is the Film Photography Podcast, internet radio show for people who love to shoot film. This is uh, our uh, April 1st show, FPP 143, and uh, we're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff. That was very good. good. I like those. The strudel. Mm -hmm. Those are really good. But I'm going to open up with a shout out uh, to my friend uh, Dylan Barnes and all the students at the Gulf Academy down in the Tampa, Florida, Tampa area, Florida. Uh, I don't have all the shots here, but uh, Dylan... He sent some shots of the students working in the lab, dark room. He says, here are some film photos shot by by me of the kids from earlier this afternoon. I had the kids develop this as well. Let me know if you need any names or any any writing info to go along with it. Dylan, it's great. The students down there, they have an after-school photo club. Mm-hmm. And we sent a big old batch of cameras uh Last year, down to them. So, hey, everyone, hey, out, everyone there. out there. Whoa. Look how those are the cutest cookies in the oh world. They're, they're green tea. I'll avoid green, them. Green tea koalas. Yeah. What's wrong mm-hmm. with green tea? I don't like tea of any kind. Hey, Matt, don't you have some letters you're hoarding over there? Yeah, I do. What do you got? Let's see. All right, here we go. Ooh. Typewriter letter. Okay. Mm. Oh, you mean this was written on a typewriter? Yeah. Typed on a typewriter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Dear FPP, I'd like to first start this letter by saying thank you for all the wonderful things you do. Without the FPP, I would have never found my love for film photography. Aww. I've been shooting digital photography since my sophomore year of high school and continue to do so until my junior year of college. When it dawned on me, I'd never shot film. I began researching across the internet, and the FPP website and podcast came up many times. I purchased a beautiful Canon FTQL uh, from the Bay last December, and I haven't looked back since. Since then, I've purchased many other cameras due to a severe case of gas. Mm. I'm writing this letter to get your thoughts on the discontinuation of Holga cameras. I just finished reading an article on DIYphotography.net that stated Holga's ending production on these beautiful Lomo cameras. I speculate that it may have something to do with the release of the upcoming Holga Digital, but I can't say for sure. Again, thank you for all that you do at the FPP. Keep up the good fight and keep shooting wonderful film. Uh, Aaron Mefford in Maryville, Missouri. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Is, um, there, is there a correlation, do you think, of people actually typing on a typewriter and using film? Because I know I like typewriters, and I have typed a few letters to you guys in the past. I, I think we all like to feel real real paper. The analog process. Yeah. yeah. We have quite a few typewriter folks. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think our good friend Shaq Motti always said, hey, if you have any questions about typewriters, hit me up. And recently, I saw I'm friends with him on uh, Instagram, uh, James Eakins. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I, she, posting lots of pictures of typewriters. Oh. By the way, I'm a film photography project on Instagram. If you're on the Instagram, I love it. And I told Mark Dalzell, I'm like, I love it because you guys are not on it. <laughs> I feel like it's exclusive. I feel like it's like no one knows. I have like a private little group that I follow and they follow me. And I could post all sorts of pictures of Mark Dalzell and he never knows they're there. That's true. So what's that one called? Oh, kinder. these are Kinder. Mm, kinder. Do they have tiny kinder. little toys in them? Kinder. They have a filling in the nuts. Ooh. I'm not kinder crazy delicious. about the Malamar ones. No. We, <laughs> those are pretty stale. When are we, um, when we uh, come back, uh, I'm going to have. Uh, when we come back, uh, Mark Dalz. When we come back, <laughs> Mark O'Brien is going to be talking about. What's called a six by six Agfa folder. Mm-hmm. Why an isolette is a good buy? If you have no idea what what that means, neither, neither do I. But you'll find out right after this. Hey, I just want everyone out there to know that you could write to the Film Photography Podcast podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Right, John? Ooh. Write a letter. Send your love, baby. Okay. It's oh, all about. Yeah. Uh, hey, folks, before we get back on topic here, I just want to talk about our film of the month, which actually is the film of every two weeks. What is it? It Well, <laughs> this April 1st, now, the special is, and this is, you, you, people are going to be like writing in or calling or, you know, whatever, saying, this is April Fool's. I'll be getting a Western Union. Like, is this an April Fool's joke? No joke. The special this month is 35mm Shmina FN64, 64 ISO film. Go to filmphotographyproject.com, click the store button, go to 35mm film, go down the list, you'll see Shemina 64. I'm not going to even tell you what the price is because the price is going to be too good to be true. Buy whatever you want. Why is Shemina FN64 good, Mark? Oh, it's lovely film. It's got nice tonality. It's got a, a grain that I find pleasing. And I put it in my Olympus trip and it just the images just pop. And it's on a nice, sturdy polyester base. It's really easy to, to roll yourself if you have it in bulk. But, hey, if you're selling it in canisters, it means I don't have to do the work. Right. And how, how about for self-scanning? Is it lay flat or is it curved? Oh, it lays so flat. It's the flattest thing it's, ever. It's, it, it's a carpenter's dream. Yep. And uh, <laughs> the stuff is, is, unlike some of the other emulsions out there, there's no curling. It's, because it's on that Mylar base, it stays flat. And it's perfect for scanning. Shemina FN64. It's our film of the month. It's unbelievably cheap. Too good to be true. Like, How could that be? How could that be? Well, we're doing it. It's a good thing. Matt's uh-huh. shaking his head. Go, no, go get it right now. Go get it. All right, we'll be right back. Searching for the right word? No, searching for gift ideas. Any suggestions? Sure have. An ANSCO cadet camera outfit with everything needed for taking pictures. The ANSCO Cadet is always ready when you are. No focusing, no dials, no nonsense. What a wonderful idea. Here are two more. The new ANSCO Cadet Reflex with a photo size viewfinder that makes fine pictures easy to get. And the ANSCO Lancer, the camera that puts precision focusing into simple words. Just move this red dot for distant scenes, medium shots, or close-ups. Made your choice? Uh Uh-huh. 
all of them. These are perfect answers to so many gift problems. When it's time to give, give the fun of an ANSCO camera outfit. 1075, 1595, 1995. If it's from ANSCO, you know it's A+. Hey, we're back. What is an isolate? Mark O'Brien, and what is a 6x6 AGFA folder? Well, an isolette is a small ISO. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what the heck, where it comes from. Anyway, AGFA (coughs) introduced a range of 120 film cameras, Mm -hmm. which are, they have a bed that drops down when you open them up with a belt with lens at the end of a little, little bellows. And uh, they have a a variety of different rim set shutters, Compure shutter in this case, and a variety of different different labeled lenses. But they're all made for 6x6, 120 film. And and that means you get a nice square negative, of course. And the nice thing about these cameras is that they're very compact. They fold up and they'll fit mm-hmm. in a po- in a, easily into a pocket. And for a lot of people back in the 40s and 50s, these were a nice thing to carry around because it gave you a big negative to work with. And also, um, depending on which model the isolate you had, it gave you a pretty wide range of, of features. Now, these were there were actually um, two different brands. There was AGFA, and of course there was ANSCO, which later then joined up. Let me talk about them a little bit. For the first, first of all, with a lot of these folding cameras, everyone sees seems to see the six by nine folders that Kodak put out. The problem with the six by nine folders is that they aren't necessarily very compact. They're sort of big and bulky. On top of that, since they were made by Kodak, almost all of them, except for the, in the early days, take six twenty film, mm-hmm. whereas ANSCO. It was a European company, and all their cameras took 120 film. And you could put 620 spool in there if you wanted to. Today, that's probably an option you really wouldn't go forward with because 120 is much easier to come by. But they're a great value for lots of reasons. But you'll also see in this whole genre of folding cameras, 6x4x5 and 6x6. And some of these cameras had masks in them, so you could actually have them as a 6x4x5 rectangular uh, negative or a 6x6 square negative in the same camera. Um, They're great value because they're fairly compact. They all have the drop-down front with self-erecting lens and bellows. The most common 6x6 folders are the ones from AGFA and the Isolette and also from ANSCO, the ANSCO Speedex. And most of these are post-World War II between 1945 and 1960. The ANSCO Speedex, made in Binghamton, was called the Speedex B2 because B2 was the AGFA version of 120 film. Um, it came out in 1940, and it had a 1 half second to 1 250th of a 2nd shutter speed. The standard Speedex was made, was made in the USA. Um, it had a fairly slow f6.3 lens, and it only had a 1 100th max shutter speed, lowest of 1 25th of a second and bulb and they're black with a black pa- black plastic top deck and uh, they were produced up to about 1950 and then they had other various versions of these the speedex special the speedex junior the speedex junior was pretty much a box a folding box camera it had one shutter speed um then they had the super speedex and with a couple rangefinder and those would be the most pricey ones if you try to look for these on ebay because they have a couple rangefinder 
and also they had a synchro computer shutter which meant they could also work with a flash and and when this came out in 1953 they were 120 dollar cameras mm. so they were pretty pricey back then um and then the, then also there was the ansco titan which had a <laughs> 90 millimeter lens and it sounds yes yeah, sounds bulky doesn't it um but it had time and bulb and one or from uh, i believe two seconds to one four hundredth of a second and then of course at the end they had the agfa isolate models which are almost all made in germ well they were all made in germany and i have a, what's here is an isolate 4.5 it was made in from 1945 to 1950 got a apatar f4.5 lens eight and a half centimeters or 85 millimeters and a computer rapid shutter it's a it's a nice little camera it it does not have um any kind of rangefinder mechanism. It's got a, uh, a movable ring to f- set the focus. And one of the things that you have to think about with some of these older cameras is they're over 60 to 75 years old mm-hmm. now, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the problems is they have a grease, and the old and it's a well-known oh. problem in all the old AGFA folders. There's a, a green helical, grease in the helical mechanism that will seize up after a while. Oh. The problem is you get this camera, and you go, oh, wow, it's great. And you think you're turning the helical, but you're not. It, the helical's frozen, and you're just turning this little rim where it's got little screws set in place. And so it's actually not focusing at all. If you look at it carefully from the side, you'll see that that little rim is only is the only thing that's turning. So the, the trick there is to um, get some lighter fluid, squirt it in the side there, and let it sit for a while, and then take a pair of pliers with some rubber bands around it and just very bit at a time try and get that helical moving. And if you do that and do it carefully, you can get it get it running. The other option of that is to take that whole lens assembly apart and then mess with it. Some people are good at that. I'm not one of those people who like to sit there and really fiddle with stuff a great deal. It's it's look, when you order something off eBay and then you get it and you have that problem, a lot of people panic or get grief stricken because they don't know what to do. Right. So these are really good tips. And so with a lot of these old folders, they'll say, "Oh, that works great," or you know, the shutter works. And the primary thing, if the shutter works fine, that is the, your biggest hurdle to get over with right there. Because if your shutter's not working, that means you've got problems. You have to have someone look at it who knows what they're doing. and may have to take some naphtha or lighter fluid and soak it in there and get it running. But it's still, it's one le- it's one thing. You, you, if it shutter's working, you don't want to mess with it. That's great. The other thing, though, is since these cameras have been sitting around for a while, the lenses might be hazy. Oh. And luckily, these are such that you can... Um, open up the back, and you can, there's a w- way to unscrew the rear lens cell, and they're very simple three-element lenses for most of these, and then you can um, clean them. And once you do that, you're good. Now, if they're if they're moldy or whatever, you can still clean them. It might take a little bit more uh, elbow grease to get that done, but you can do it carefully, and they should work just fine. Some of these cameras have different range of shutter speeds. Um, the one I have has a shutter speed range of one second to five, one five hundredth of a second and B, so you can use pretty much any any film you want in this camera. If you have a an external rangefinder, you can put in, it's got a cold shoe on top, mm-hmm. does not have any way to attach it to a flash because it's not, it does not have a synchronized shutter in here. The uh, You can put a little rangefinder in the cold shoe and use that to focus and then set your focus on the rim. Cold shoe is basically a accessory shoe. Accessory shoe. Accessory accessory shoe, shoe where you would right. put a, a flash before they have the contacts. Exactly, yeah. So, and I guess the, the that cold shoe for the range finder would pretty level to where the film yes plane it is, is. It's, 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 it's in it's in line with that so there really are nice cameras there's a lot of other 
um, isolates that came around from um, isolate one, two, three, five, isolate L. They were produced up to 1960. The isolate L, I believe, can use 120 or 35 millimeter film, so it must have a little adapter in there. It has an uncoupled but built-in meter. They're they're all pretty fairly common online, and except for the isolate L, I've never seen one of those. The other thing you want to look for is, are the bellows good? These have a short throw bellows in here, so you know, it's not like extending like a 6x9. Most of the bellows are paper and covered with a, another black paper, and you can put this in a dark room and shine a flashlight on the outside and see if the bellows are, are, are light tight. Um, How do you do that again? Uh, you can t- open up the back of the camera yeah. in, a, in a darkened room and then shine a flash and look inside with the bellows extended and shine a flashlight around. If you see any lights coming in through the mm-hmm. through the corners of the bellows, then you'll know you got pinholes to worry about. Or I stick the flashlight in the bellows and look from the or, outside. Well, or you can do it that way too, yeah. <laughs> Since you have the cam- back of the camera open and you're looking through the back of it, right. is that another way of kind of testing the shutter too to see if it's opening and You can do it that way as well, yeah. Okay, in, in fact, you can also... By doing that, you can uh, also make sure all the apertures are working properly as well. The nice thing about these cameras, again, they're, they're very compact. They have a tripod socket on the bottom. They're good for landscapes. Because these lenses are largely uncoated, there's going to be a loss of contrast sometimes and, and, or flare. And so if you actually if you have a, uh, a slip-over filter you can put on there, you can uh, then use that to help help with it with the uncoated lens also you could put on a red filter or whatever depending on the, the film you want to use having a separate range finder is useful uh, and the handheld meter of course or you can use a sunny 16 rule and they all take 120 so you don't have to worry about any kind of special uh, 620 problems and you can pay between 15 and 70 dollars on the for these depending on where where you yeah. in and where you find them and the the day the seller was born and the condition of the camera <laughs> yeah, yeah. and which version. So the super isolates go for far more because of the, of the range finders. Um, they go for upwards of $200 sometimes. But think of this. When Fuji came out with a a range finder, folding range finder camera a few years back, it was a 6x7 as I recall. Mm-hmm. How much did that sell for? Something mm-hmm. on the order of over $700, $800, so- right? Over They're six by seven. Yeah, it was, was twenty six hundred. Twenty six hundred. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so you can go buy an isolate, which has a pretty decent optics in it and uh, fits in a pocket for probably less than fifty dollars and have a nice six by six folder. That's fantastic. And for folks listening, because we're radio, uh, <laughs> this is a camera. It just fits in your hand like a sandwich. Yeah. And it pops open. And when it pops open, the bellows and the lens pop out. It's called self-erecting. Yes. Mm. And it really is awesome. And I, I, I super encourage folks, especially if you're out there listening and you're shooting 35 millimeter and you've never tried 120 roll film. One of the first things I bought when I got back into film photography was one of these folders. And they really are a lot of fun. And they take really nice pictures. And they're fun. To shoot sprockets in. Oh, yes. Oh, With 35. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, someone says, people often say, what, I want to get into 120. What should I get? People say, well, you get a Holga. Well, the Holga is a really minimalist camera. But with something like an Agfa Isolette or any others that are out there that are similar, 
you've got control over what you're trying to do, and that's really important. And they had decent optics. The other funny thing about the, some of these folders, though, is that they're not the only ones that were ever made. If you, depending on where you look, I mean, there were certainly a lot of folders made in, in Germany by Zeiss Icon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, some of those are six by six, and some of those are um, six by four by five, and some of them are six by nine. There's a whole bunch of different ones under those, and I won't even get into it because it's a morass of different models and numbers. But if you do find a Zeiss Icon folder that shoots six by six, and a price of somewhere probably between fifty to a hundred dollars for some of these is quite reasonable, and they're very nicely made cameras, so I recommend those as well. But they're not as commonly found as the isolates. Right, right. This came up a couple of years ago for me, where I wanted to get a really compact one twenty, but I wanted it to be a rangefinder with a hot shoe, and I ended up going with the Seagull two hundred three, which is almost identical to this with the addition of the, the hot shoe and the rangefinder, and a thumb wind, which is also nice. And it's also about 50 years newer. At, yeah, and it's much more expensive, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a very, yeah. It, makes, it reminds me of that. But, yeah, I love my Seagull 203, for sure. Well, thank you, much, thank you very much for the report. You're welcome. For folks out there who have been shooting with folders, or if you have any questions about folders, uh, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Please write us. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do... I found this letter just in from Andy Hudson, and I'm going to have my friend Mark Dalzell read this. Okay. This has to do with you and your gang. Oh, all right then. <laughs> How to pronounce your name? Blank. <laughs> Flicker name, Haptown. Hey, FPP folks. I love the podcast, and I always enjoy the music at the end of the show. What show? I just purchased... What? I just purchased the Smooth Sailors album Smoovachrome on iTunes. Cool. Haptown and my mom. And I've been listening to the free music on their website. I would love to know the names of the songs that have been featured at the end of the podcast. Thank you for all the hard work you put into the podcast. I always look forward to listening, and it makes my drive to work so much more enjoyable. Regards, Andy Hudson, Franklin, Tennessee. That's not the first time that you've gotten that request, people asking which, which tracks you're using. Well, the thing is, I put the tracks in in uh, post-production, you know, not when we're sitting here mm-hmm. recording. Right. And since I don't have a mic, I'm just editing, I just put the tracks in. But if you go, no, not you know what, the show notes don't even tell you. No. You tend, I'll, I'll give you, a, this is an Easter egg. You tend to pick sessions from within the last couple of weeks. You always look, get the newest stuff. Yeah. So if the podcast comes out on, you know, March first, yeah, go look at what we did at the end of January, of that beginning year. of February, maybe. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> look back a month or two. It, it won't be the back because I know on, on on our site right now we've probably got twelve hundred songs. Well, yeah. While I'm editing, I you know I'll take a break. I'll go to the, the Smooth Sailors, the Smooth Sailors, the Smooth Sailors. Dot com. Yeah. I'll look the new tracks that I haven't heard yet and I listen to them I'm like ah, 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 awful ah, awful ah, ah, awful then I'll be like one like whoa ooh. I'll download that boom it's on the shelf you guys did one late in 2015 or maybe early no I think it was like a Christmas you guys did a Christmas tune that was like Slamming! I was away that week. I know. <laughs> Kills me that I was away for it. It was a real kind of the. They ventures. wrote out sheet music.
Yeah, they did. It was like a it was like a, a surf jingle. It bells. was a real oh, yeah, that was good surf. That was professional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be on an album that's available commercially. We do one Christmas song every year. Well, in the, just of 12, 12 years, you got an album. I know. Yeah. Last year we did uh, um, Father Christmas with Darren on vocals. Yeah. I like the one that. that who does the song with the, with the gas? Oh, uh, you mean Kristen? Yes, yes. Kristen. Yes. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a great song. I love that song. I know. It's the yeah. FPP uh, official theme song. Year acquisition syndrome yeah, yeah. song. Yeah. Michael, Alex, Mark, and Leslie, Lauren, Matt, and John Fidelli, the crew at the FPP podcast. I'd like to thank you for the gas. By Kirsten, I'm trying to think of Ireland, isn't yeah. it? Kirsten Ireland. Ireland. What is her website? Is it KirstenIreland.com? Uh, oh, right so now. Good. Yeah, it's one of my favorite songs. When you guys have it on the show. I always like that. Yeah, one. me too. That one in, in pocket, no pockets. There's a gent lives on our street. He got no pockets, and I wonder how he carries stuff. I drop it. He got nowhere to keep his keys and chain. It would surely drive me crazy, so deranged You can often see him in the morning walking Oh, that's yeah. my favorite, too. That's uh, Darren uh, Ballard oh, yeah. Riley. Okay. Uh, yeah. No Pockets. No Pockets, it, yeah. It's great because he's telling a little, a little story. Right, right. And that one about the, what's the other one about the bicycle where the, someone dies? Jennifer's dead. Jennifer's dead, yeah. Jennifer's the girl you used to see around the place, but now she's gone. Yes, she's gone. To that great gig in the sky. She never had the chance to say goodbye. Oh, Jennifer, why? Every Monday morning she would cross the busy road to get her coffee She liked it strong, always wait About the woman who would cross the street every day to get her coffee And wasn't looking and one day she got run over by a motorbike Yeah Sad, but it was a good song. I must apologize. Awesome. And it's it really is a cute song, right? It is, it is, uh-huh. it is. So uh, we all love music, uh, and I always say, we don't just play music. We are the music. music. The people that listen to the show are making this music, and uh, many times, uh, Mr. Mark Dalzell right here is a musician. Uh, John Fideli, not present. Dane Johnson, not present. Uh, these are the Smooth Sailors, and they're, it's original music that we're playing uh, here on the FPP. What so, does John Fideli play? Drums. Drums. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had um, the Derby Girls, J.J. Yes, Fisher's band. Yeah. 
Yes. As a matter of fact, he was pretty darn excited about that. We're we're going out on a quick break here. We'll be back in just a few, you know, in thirty seconds or a minute. But on the way out, let's listen to the Derby Girls. Woohoo! Yeah. The dark room is a lab on the West Coast, and these days, because you know you're, we're all shooting film, but you know the big question is where do I bring my film to get processed? The dark room is an option, and they've really stepped up to develop all films. One ten film, one twenty six film, thirty five millimeter film, six twenty film, one twenty film, four by five film, eight by ten. Wow! One stop uh, shopping. Black and white, color print C forty one, color slide E six. E six. One twenty two, twenty thirty five, four by five, eight by ten. The darkroom. It's thedarkroom.com. They also do testing of awesome films like Lomo X Pro, Red Scale, True Black and White, Crossbird, Redbird, oh, Nightbird, oh, hey. uh, Infrared films. All of us here at the FPP highly recommend you go there. They'll take good care of you. The darkroom. Dot com. Tell them the FPP sent you. Yeah. Hey, we're back. Hey, Matt, here's a letter. Hey, what? <gasps> oh, we got a letter? Yep. Oh, sorry. Uh, this letter comes to us from Craig Erickson. Hey, FPP. I just wanted to share a film developer combo I've been experimenting with. I haven't heard anyone else talk about it, although I'm sure I'm not, I'm not plowing new ground. But in the spirit of sharing fostered by the FPP community, I thought I'd pass it along. The attached images are shot on the Hasselblad 500CM. The film stock is Neopan Acros 100. Beautiful. Fantastic film. Shot at box speed. And developer, FA 1027, 1 to 14 dilution, 9.5 minutes. What? what? All right. Anyway, the the massive development chart didn't have any info for that film developer <gasps> combo. I've never heard of that. So I looked up some comparable films and made an educated guess. I was blown away by the results. Incredible grain and sharpness. Great shadow and highlight detail. I'll post them on the FPP Flickr pool. Regards, Craig Erickson, who is also Craig B. Erickson on Instagram and Flickr. Very nice. And I see some attached images. Uh-huh. So looks like looks like he nailed it. I'm going to go right, so, Instagram all right, all right. right here, right now. Does anybody here know, what the heck is FA 1027 1 to 14? It is a developer uh-huh. that is available from the uh, photographer's formulary. Oh, okay. If you click on it, it'll say www.fineartphotographysupply.com. Is that why it's got the FA? Uh, yes, oh, and if you click okay. on that, it takes you right back to... Photographer's formulary. Okay. All right. It, um, Who made it? Did they make it? I believe so. Really looks like a sweet developer. I'd like to try this. It comes as a quart for $15. So this is going to tell you a lot about yeah. it. Yeah, what's Matt, it got in what, it? What's in it? What's it got? How, and they also go into how it compares to D76. Two restrainers. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can do expired film with this. Yes. Potassium bromide, benzotriazole, yeah. which is awesome for base fog. Yeah, nice. and so I and I looked at their little data sheet at the end, and they showed Ilford, 
HP5, FP4, Delta mm-hmm. 100, mm-hmm. Pan F, Tri-X, T-Max. Okay. But then actually when I went to the massive development chart, they've got SF times 4, SFX200, Fomapan, Eastman Double oh. X, the Arista Premium 400, ADOX films. So there are more times out there as well. But it really, it, it comes as a liquid. Nice, you know, one shot, mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. shot. It makes it use it one shot. And it looked really very interesting. And since we have um, expanded a couple of these films, I would really like to try it like with the Eastman Double X, some of those. So that's where you're able to obtain it. Mm-hmm. Right, fork it over, Leslie. I'm mm-hmm. going to read on this. You got it. All now right. here comes the techie stuff from our own. Matt Mirage. Oh, I'm, I'm still browsing. Uh, very concentrated economical formula. Best use is a one-shot. Well, of course, most mm-hmm. most diluted developers are. Recommend dilutions 1 to 9, 1 to 14. Can be diluted as high as 1 to 19, probably even more than that. That's crazy. 100 mils of concentrate will process six 8 by 10 sheets of film sheets. or equivalent six rolls of film. 30 milliliters is a little over 3 U.S. ounces. I add 100 mils of F.A. concentrate uh, to either 900 mils of water or 1,400 mils of water. Shelf life, two years. This sounds a lot like a compensating developer that I've been using a lot of. Yes, I thought so. What's the main? It doesn't say in here what the main ingredient is, does it? Looks like good stuff. I would, if I wasn't so entrenched in the carcinogenic nightmare that was pyro, I I would be into this. Sure. Wow. I spilled extra on my cat last night. Oh, no. How's that going to (laughs) go? You have to wait and see what develops. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Get out. (laughs) I I, I will. This looks like good stuff. I'm I'm going to search the crap out of Flickr for FA-1027 and Mm -hmm. probably see some fighter jets and some black and white. That's what I was thinking, FA-1027 fighter jets. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah. 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 I'll get a time for it for uh, my Very personal good. favorite, yeah, the Shmita 200. Yeah. What the heck are you guys talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, we're speaking about chemistry. Developer. Chemistry. Yeah. Chem- chemistry. Yes. Yeah. A- another film developer. Black and white. Black and, Black white. and white. This is jet- based off of Craig's letter. Jet fuel. Yes, yes. Yeah. This, is the, this is the one this. he's talking yeah. about. Yeah, so uh, basically this developed. I'd never heard of it before, and I'm excited about it because it's uh, – it seems to be a compensating developer, which can really help uh, maintain your f- uh, your film speed. It also can help you uh, for some really contrasty situations like Craig posted in his shot. I mean, these are in bright sunshine. He's getting really good separation in the highlights, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And uh, really weird is this uh, developer has two restrainers. So normally there's a, sh- a restrainer to keep it from going crazy contrast-wise, building it up. And this one has benzotriazole, which is known usually for reducing base fog. So for people that are – labs are developing really, really super expired film, that's what they add to reduce that fog Put on there. Put a pinch in between your cheek and gum and develop it. Yeah. yeah. Well, they just add that all the time. What does it do if it's good film? Uh, it's just going to slow it down a bit usually. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But that's uh, – no. That, it looks, looks look pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to look into this. It's crazy cool stuff. Thanks, Craig, for pointing that out. And thank you, Leslie, for uh, – Doing some homework. I got to do some now. Great stuff. When we come back, Matt Mirage is going to have some doctor tips. <laughs> uh, Darkroom tips. Yeah. Okay. Doctor tips. Yes. Do you love the Film Photography Podcast? Show your support. Visit our online store at filmphotographyproject.com. That's right. Your purchases at our store support this show. What show? You're not only supporting the podcast, but you're also supporting our ample giveaway programs and our workshops. 
Just go to filmphotographyproject.com and click the store button. Good golly, Miss Molly. Kodak Alaris Films. That's right. Impossible Project Instant Films. Super amazing. And our very own... FPP hand-rolled films. Most notably is the addition of Shmina Films. Shmina from Eastern Europe. Shmina FN64, photo 100, photo 200, photo 400, as well as Eastman Kodak black and white motion picture film. That's right. Such stocks as Eastman Double X, Eastman High Contrast 5363, and the awesome Kodak Fine Grain 2366. FilmPhotographyProject.com. Hey, hey, thanks. Let's get back to more show. Hey, we're back. Hey, uh, Matt Mirage is here. You know, I think this is an interesting topic. Dark, darkroom tips. Because it could be kind of funny of what actual people do that is funny. And I'm talking about public darkroom etiquette. Oh, like yeah. Your, <laughs> like <laughs> spitting oh. your gum on the floor. Oh, spinning, yeah. Putting the seat down. Cussing. Oh, man. Well, Mix I mean, a little fixer in with a little developer. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so for FPP listeners out there that may or may not have been tuning in, uh, Midwest Photo Exchange is going to be getting a darkroom in their new location, which is going to be opening up in Columbus, Ohio, tentatively July 1st. Might be a little bit sooner, might be probably a little bit later. In doing so, I've been tasked with or part of the task force on assembling a public darkroom. And in doing so, I realized... Man, there's a you know there's a lot that goes into a dark room, and today we're just going to cover one little topic of it, and that's public dark room etiquette. No spitting. Do you say? <laughs> Is that like public restroom etiquette? Yeah. Ooh. Green it. Wash green. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely wash your hands. Uh, but you know, there's a lot that goes into uh, a public dark room, and a lot of things you have to consider if you're somebody that's used to working, you know, in your bathroom, in your basement, and now you have to share with others. Uh, there's some some consideration we have to take. Uh, with that, probably the first and foremost is, yeah, yeah, Mike, clean it. You keep it clean. Like, <laughs> don't don't leave a big old mess. No messes. Mm-hmm. Gloves, food apron. Stuff. No, oh, no food ever. Eh, X, big X. Right. No food. No smoking. Sure. No smoking. You know, you're sharing a space with with folks. If you guy, if you saw it, if you le- always try to leave the location better than you found it. What about you in your dark room, like public dark room? All of a sudden, your phone goes off, like light emits. Oh, none of that. Bad. No elect. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully no electronics. If you use a certain chemical and it seems exhausted, don't put it back. Mention, you know, mention it. Say something. Do something. Right. Don't top. Don't top it off with water. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who would do such a thing? And I, I can't believe this is. It's 2016. Film photography has been around for God knows how long, and we we still have to say, don't drink the chemistry. And don't pour it on your cat. And yeah, just pretty. It seems like basic stuff, but I, I it know, isn't. But it happens. I used to. Sp- so. I used to share a private darkroom space, and I used to have to tell my darkroom roommate, "Don't drink the chemistry." Dark roommate? What do you mean? Don't drink the chemistry. Don't drink this. Don't. People drinking developer. No, no, come on. Yeah, drink like, developer. As what? As like a as like a dare? No, just likes to take a sip. Why? Just, yeah, I, mean, I have just bourbon in my darkroom when I'm down there, but it's obviously what's in a bourbon glass is not. It's all brown either. water in the dark room. Yeah, I know, but still. Everyone knows bourbon is a pre-wash. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But yeah, uh, a, a couple other things to consider when setting up a, a public darkroom. You know, establishing your working space. If there's more than one working in larger, it, it's actually it's almost like I'm gonna have to mansplain this for for Leslie. Mansplain, it's, mansplain. Yeah, let me tell you something. Uh, so it's kind of like when when you're at a public urinal and there's there's oh, like, let's, yeah. You, you try to be you know, and you you don't go don't right wanna, next to the guy. You don't want to splash the next guy. Exactly. You don't go if there's if there's five stalls and one guy's all the way at the end. Don't you, go right next. Ex- exactly. Same thing with enlargers. <laughs> it's very high tech. You're in a big, in a big old movie theater. Do not theater. be in the enlarger right next to someone else. <laughs> you're in a big old movie theater and you're watching a movie and the place is fairly empty. Open seats. And yeah. some dude, like some guy, comes in last minute, and, like sits next to you. Well, what is that Worse. About? Oh, Why so. do you sit next to him then? <laughs> Why do you walk in and sit next to people? Anyhow, continue, Matt. Thank you. Give them some space. Give people their working space. There's there's a maximum number of bookings anyway. Just don't you know? Don't be looking over their shoulder when they're doing something. So I've never seen a, a public dark room, but mm-hmm. if you've got, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you've got someone a few feet away using a larger, isn't that messing up your stuff when the light keeps going on? Usually, the as soon as you give yourself, I would say four to six feet, you're you're doing pretty good on there, and it's oh, not okay. it's not the light's not spilling. It's uh, yeah, it's very focused most of the time. So it's coming down, you know, max maybe a 45. Very few, seldom are using a very wide angle oh, lens on that. I'm also forgetting with papers is such yeah. low ISO anyway. It's not like close. Right. Yeah, it's not like yeah. film. Yeah. It's not like someone's someone's using 3200 speed paper next to you. Right. So, yeah. Right. Oh, another thing. Uh you don't share don't share trays. Don't assume that it's it's for sharesies. Like if if someone's someone's uh-huh. Working on their their Someone print chemicals. Yeah, mean? don't yeah oh don't God, yeah. start throwing your stuff. I've it's happened. I've you don't seen even know it what's happen. in there. Exactly, we're not and making this stuff up, folks. It could it's, be bourbon. It's ridiculous, <laughs> right? So you know, just some basic dark room etiquette. And I can't believe this also has to be said. What you do in your private dark room is fine, but no sex in the dark room. It's a rental space, folks. Clothed. Yes. Okay. Shoes. Got Shoes. Shirt. Apron. Mm. Gloves. No shirt, no shoes, no dives. <laughs> right. Learn it. Know it. Live it. <laughs> yeah, folks. If you have any interesting public darkroom etiquette stories, I know I'm going to instantly regret this. Yes. Please send them podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> oh, you know what? I've got two little darkroom tidbits. One of them especially may tie in here. Ooh, all right. Let's and uh, one of them is save those tails that you cut off your film before you thread it onto the reel. Because especially if you're using a public darkroom, you can use that tail to test the developer ahead of time. Clip test, yeah. Clip test. It doesn't turn. Don't use it. Put it in the right. fixer. It doesn't clear. Don't use it. Is there some risk involved? Public darkroom. You walking in. No one's there. You don't know what you're getting as far as chemistry. Like how do you- a good public darkroom, you will know it's it's good. Um, especially if it's a public darkroom that's a smaller space where there's maybe only one or two working spaces. A, a good, well maintained one is going to have uh, a tech who goes through and maintains the chemistry, Mm -hmm. makes sure your fixer isn't contaminated with silver or contaminated with developer. Uh, They're making sure they're checking that multiple times a day to make sure everything's clean. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're paying for when you, when you pay a pretty heavy rental fee. So. And what also is, in a lot of college dark rooms, it's the same kind of thing. They have a tech that maintains all that stuff. So yeah, and most of the stuff is mixed up so it can be done one right. shot anyway. Right. Yeah, you, you want to have a, a decent amount of maintenance. That's what you're paying for. What is the price, roughly? Price? Um, m- 
most on the coast. So, I mean, the only real public dark rooms that are, you know, priced and have a price established would be like New York and L.A. Um, your dark rooms there can be $20, $30 an hour easily. Some oh, of the okay. more premium ones bad. could be more. Um, and most will have a subscription service that will give you, you can buy a year membership. Well, some don't do years, but they'll do like month memberships mm-hmm. or you can buy a day for X amount and that will get you so much printing. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Public dark room. I, I'm super excited about it. You know, I've already uh, seen some of the plans for the layout and uh, in establishing the rules, it kind of gave me the inspiration for this this little piece. Hopefully I don't have any... Horror stories. I, I was going to say, if mm-hmm. you're if the public darkroom that's going to open up at, at MPEX is a big hit, you're going to have some great stories. I will. It's this is like a rule book that hasn't been written yet. This is a whole new set of rules. Right. Yeah, this like, is this is just like the the uh, this is frontier. Uh, right now we're in the honeymoon phase. Like everything's all, all like best case scenario kind yeah. of rules. Like don't do this, don't do right, that. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Oh, no problem. Leslie, I see you have like film looking flashcards in I front do. of you. I do. They're my little one minute tips. Is this a qu- Oh, it's and, not a quiz. Okay. No, it's not a quiz. I, I, see, call, I call them the single frame. I see one's turned down. You did one already. Well, you kind of did now that. Now you one play already. the single frame intro music. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. The single frame. And a lot of us right now in our dark rooms, we're given old dark room equipment. Mm-hmm. And I have a bunch of different thermometers. I wonder where you get those from. You should. That one's my favorite. You should test them against each other because they're probably not going to read the same. How is that possible? I know. But see, a lot of the dial thermometers are adjustable. So find one that's giving you perfect results or only use one. How do you know which one's accurate? The one that gave you the good film. Okay. And you used it forever until you dropped it on the floor after 20 years and oh, broke it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's it. Just test them all against each other. Maybe even if you've got a one of those fancy schmancy, you know, sh- just shoot it laser oh, the type in, ones, the infrared, the things? infrared ones, and then calibrate them. So, but you can actually calibrate a lot of the dial thermometers and adjust them to. It's supposed to read sixty-eight, and it's not. Anyway, if you use more than one thermometer, test them, see if they're reading similar. That's it. My my darkroom space has one of those infrared things. Sometimes I'll check it. Sweet. It's all over the place. It is? I trust the Kodak thermometer. Hand, well, that one is usually my hands down. But in recent months, mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned it a few podcasts ago, I ended up buying one of those uh, USB temperature probes that Alan Ross suggested. That thing's awesome. Compensates my time. It's, it's mm. the gospel. As long as my battery doesn't die. Well, yeah. There you wow. go. Thank you. That was an awesome. This is a, a new a new segment called a single frame, aka one minute tip. And they're actually printed out on a fr- it looks like a frame. And I'm going to scan this and put this on the face- Facebook page, Flickr. Oh, good, because they like have my personal yes, they do. corrections and crap uh, on and it. And for folks but- listening who have tuned in. Uh, please go over to the Film Photography Project Facebook page. Uh, I think it says Film Photography Podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, it does. Uh, we have almost ten thousand subscribers. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, we're 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 in the nine thousands. That's very over exciting. nine thousand. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that's very good. That's awesome. Come on over. Mm-hmm. It's a fun. Actually, um, it's the easiest way and the quickest way to get news from the FPP. The latest and greatest. Yeah. Latest and greatest. Whenever there's like a crazy film sale, like a film of the month, boom, mm-hmm. it hits that Facebook page 
Also hits the Instagram Film Photography Project and, of course, our site, filmphotographyproject.com. So thank you, Leslie. We'll be right back right after this word. <laughs> hey, we're back. Word. Oh, already? Yeah. Mm. What do you got, Mark? Mark Dalzell here. Well, I'm not Mark. You're Mark. No, I, I mean I, we've talked about the C3 before. I just thought we so would what? talk about going to the Argus Museum. Oh, we well, you Argus. know, we went to the Argus oh, Museum. I was going to say yesterday, but that was still just today. No, it was months ago. It seems like. <laughs> well, recently, <laughs> myself, Matt Mirage, Ooh. and Mark O'Brien went to the Argus Museum, where we did an interview with Cheryl, the curator, uh, uh, Cheryl Chidester, Chidester, uh, and that you could find on the FPP Film Photography Project. YouTube channel. You could search Film Photography Tube. That Marcus Anderson's getting some hits. The spot on Marcus Anderson, the, yeah. the, the street photographer. Mm-hmm. People love that video. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, but Mark Dalzell loves the brick, the C3, the Argus C3, so much that he took one and made one translucent. I have, Yeah, I have a bunch of modified C3s. They're really easy to get apart, fix, repair, you know, yeah. hack them, do, you know, make things out of them. Yeah. A screwdriver and a hammer is all you need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, I mean, if you, uh, pretty much, I don't think I've ever found one. You've probably, you know, other Mark has probably experienced a lot more of these than I have too, but I've never found one that didn't work. You know, they're yeah. so simple. Oh. See, so you've got, there's 12, <laughs> 16 of them right there, 12 of them right there. Exactly, in the hidden room. But, uh, t- well, I mean, like I said, the C3, it's, it's you know, it's the camera that's called the Brick. Everyone knows it as the brick. It's ergonomically terrible, but I think it's a, just a really beautiful, elegant design. It's so simple. It's it, it has about five moving parts. So like I said, they almost always work fine. The, the cool thing about being able to mod them is it's easy to do things like, you know, these things came out in the late 30s, so they're clearly not X-synced. But if you want to modify it to be X-synced, it's really simple to do. It's it's as if it was designed to to do that sort of thing. So... You basically pop off the front, which is held on with six screws. You adjust a little thing, put the front back on, and you're done. It's exiting. It takes about five minutes. Dane and I both have modified, we call them the cattle prods, but we, we modified <laughs> the, the stick flash from the side. Mm-hmm. Um, we call them the cattle prods. How when you, you have do the, that? the flash on there charged up, if you oh. touch somebody with these two, oh. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's like... It is a cattle prod. It is literally yeah. a cattle prod. So don't tase it, me, bro. But connected to the camera. If it's not connected to the camera, does the flash need to be on to get a charge? You what? When you take that off, yeah, is it ready to shock someone? Or do you have to turn the flash on? Uh, yeah. Well, this flash is on right now. So if I touch it, you'll get a little a little shock. For real? Yeah. Okay. And if you short those two things to each other, oh, oh. set the flash on. Look at that. Now you used to talk about this like you know like butter like it's so like it just cuts like but like me like how 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 do you do this exactly? Well, I mean, in this case, like I said, to get the front off, if you if you pop off the leather out in the front, if you slip a razor blade okay. underneath, okay. the the leather will come off the front at the four corners and in the top center and bottom center. There's okay. there's six little flathead screws. If you undo those six screws. Um, the whole front of the camera just lifts off as one piece. There's only one little linkage that connects the, the front of the camera to the rest of the body, which is easy to replace later. And once you do that, you've exposed um, all of the, the shutter timing. You've mm-hmm, exposed mm-hmm. the flash uh, connections. You, you've, you've exposed the flash timing, which is this little, since I happen to have a clear one, a clear Argus C3 in my hand, there's a little copper disc here yes. that's adjustable. And if you loosen this one screw... And just turn it a bit to the side, 
and tighten it back down, it's suddenly X-synced. So you can adjust your your you can manually adjust your flash timing. Remarkable. Um, you could actually you could probably drill a hole in the front of yours and make it adjustable. For, you know, you could make it. MX. How did you know this? Oh, he's naturally uh, brilliant. Because well, I had one and I took the front off to see what what. But what how did you know outside. that just turning this little bit was going to make it X-sync? Uh, well, I just played with it a bit to see. It's it's hard to do when the front is on, but if you over on the side here, there's a little there's a little copper leaf spring, and as that wheel comes up. It pushes that thing out of the way, and when it touches the, the the contact on the side, that's what sets the flash off. Yes. So by moving that little piece of metal, it's adjusting where wow. that thing bumps into it. So all you have to do is now, how do you, how with, do you, with the front off, you just have to watch, and when the shutter is all the way open, that's mm-hmm. when you want it to make the contact. Right now, it goes <laughs> off when the shutter is just barely open. How do you turn an M sync? How do you turn M-Sync to X-Sync on a Polaroid automatic land camera? That is a touchy subject. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Polaroid cameras are already X-Synced. Because the way the Polaroids they are, work, they have that little extra I get pin they have to push in. Mm-hmm. Well, the way, the, the way that the... <laughs> oh, you need that pin. Yeah. In other words, when you put just a flash on a Polaroid automatic land camera, put the PC thing in... It's it's just the PC, not that you know the. Second. Oh, mm-hmm. is that what make it makes it X sync? No, because no. I don't I don't use that. Yeah, um, I mean it's a that's huge, if you use the two sixty eight. I mean this is a huge topic, yeah. and people well, always constantly the way hassling I, me. The way I understand <laughs> it is the the way it works for me is the land camera. Like I, I'm a I'm partial to the two fifty. So let's just talk about my two fifty specifically. So there's no confusion that I'm talking about the J thirty three or something weird, but the the Polaroid two fifty. It has a light sensor on the front. You open the shutter, and when it gets enough light, it closes the shutter. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. So if, if it opens the shutter and suddenly there's a big blast of light, it says, oh, that's enough, and it closes. So it's automatically X-synced or, or M-synced. It doesn't matter. So if you're using a smaller PC flash, and it's a small, it's, it's the, the, the flash is not as brilliant as from a flash bulb. That's why sometimes the shutter will stay open. Yeah. Because it's yeah. not getting enough light. And you'll get that... Um, you know that what's that Olympus camera that you like that that does the you night get the lag that you get the the, the streaks because yeah. you drag. can flash yeah. it and then get your streaks mm-hmm. at the end because you can do that yeah. too. Folks are insisting that it's an M sync camera and how can you possibly use like the FPP flash? You know, basically uh, an electronic flash yeah. is not right. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people say what happens is the shutter is. As the shutter is still opening, it's firing your electronic flash and it's not getting the full light. I've never seen that happen. I've, I've Shot fifty and packs, can, of and you can use film. them with strobes. We've used them with yeah, with, with strobes you with, with, with PC cord, and mm-hmm. yeah, they were, it works just fine. I've now, never seen it not work. Now the only difference between a PC cord and the proprietary cord that Polaroid had is it just has a different shape. It's like a little jig. Yes. And when you put in the the Polaroid cord versus a PC cord, it's a PC plus it has that little jig. What that does is that just defaults the shutter speed to its one sixtieth or mm-hmm. one whatever it mm-hmm. was. So it just shortens that. So there's no, it's not, it's overriding the, the electronic eye at that point, um, and that's the only thing that got it to quote unquote X sync. Gotcha. But that's only yeah. if you're using the 268 flash. So if you're using your um, what's the the flash that you like with the PC cord on it? The uh, M50. The M50 or the uh, Vivitar the 252. 252. Yeah, if you're using or in my case, the ones that I modify that have the built-in that have a hot shoe on them on the camera yes. itself. Mark I'm puts just, hot shoes on the I'm camera. I'm just bypassing it. I'm bypassing uh-huh. that little tab completely. So right. if you, you know, like I can take a shot and partially cover up my flash and then use it to get streaks because I'm not right. giving it enough light from the flash itself. So you can do wacky stuff. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad your topic 
topped off and tipped off. The yeah, I don't know how we got we, we went from the C3 Well, the, the other thing with, with these older <laughs> cameras that are an M-Sync, obviously it's, they were made so that by the time the shutter was open, the flash bulb had gotten to its peak. Intensity. In, yeah. Intensity, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And, then, and so they, were, they actually had flash bulbs that, that were made for X-Sync that would yeah. reach that peak intensity much quicker. And so you, it didn't really matter. Right. And even within that, it blows my mind that even within the, f- the world of flash bulbs, there were a lot of different flash bulbs you can get. And I think on what, I have I have one camera. It might be the Kiev or there's something that actually has a knob that has like five or six different flash bulb settings that you can pick depending on what flash bulb you were using. And it's actually got like a you know infinitely variable flash sync setting on it. You know, it's not just M and X. It's yeah. The slow F burners. bulbs or, yeah, mm-hmm. all these different ones. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's interesting. And there's the ones that use infrared flash, too, which you what, can't see. Any example of a type, what type of camera you use? Well, the, the uh, Ouija use a, a, a speed graphic with with uh, um, IR bulbs on them, which are mm-hmm. just, and they're coated with a paint. They're opaque. You don't see them go off. It's just it, they're sending out heat. Yeah, and I had and I had <laughs> heat. Yeah, yeah, and so I had. Uh, I was getting rid of a state of accumulated flash bulbs and stuff a few years ago, and in that was about two dozen of these IR bulbs, and they are used extensively in Hollywood for various effects. And those bulbs went for a lot of money, wow. but they don't make them anymore. Wow, we're back to your C three. These, to- these are fascinating tangents we're going yeah. off on. I like that. Were all of those made in Ann Arbor? What's that? All the C3s made. All, in all the Argus cameras that were not made, um, that were made between 1930, whatever, to, um, well, from the from the Argus A all the way to all the Cs and the Matchmatic and so forth, um, any of the ugly cameras that they made were <laughs> made in Ann Arbor. Once once the 60s rolled around, they started having them outsourced. So if yeah. you see, like, the, like, like the VX100 is another one. It's got, it looks more like a modern little camera. Mm-hmm. That was made by Balda in Germany. So, okay. But if it's a C, any of the C-series um, or the A-series, all the classics are all U.S. Made, 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 made here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The museum was great. Argus <laughs> Museum. It's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's worth a trip. First of all, the... the just for the gigantic C3 that they've got. <laughs> it's worth that. The you c- really love that. I love that thing. The city of Ann Arbor has a lot of great stuff in it, so it's not like you're coming to the Argus Museum. There's nothing else to do. There's lots of it. Mm-hmm. And right. if you like sports, mm-hmm. oh, well, then, you know. then you could, you know. But it's or, march, or marching bands. Or marching. Now. There's just so much to shoot. Or right here in Detroit. It's Motor City, like uh, mm-hmm. it's an hour away. Yeah. You got a, yeah. you got that gigantic Uniroyal tire at the side of the highway, right. which is fun <laughs> to take pictures of. Call up, meet Ted Nugent for lunch. That's right, that kind of thing. Yeah, you got the Motor City Madman. Yeah. You got the Mariners <laughs> Church, he, he, but he lives in Texas. Oh well, <laughs> is there a website for the Argus Museum? Yes, there yes. is, and it's a mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's part of the actually the Washtenaw County Historical Society. Now they actually it's part of their website, I believe, and uh, the Historical Society has been sponsoring various. Argus things as well. So Cheryl works for them, and she's been a curator for there for quite a while. When I when I first got back into photography seriously in around 1999 2000, I had never really heard of Arguses, and I remember oh. I, I picked up an Argus 75 somewhere at a thrift shop for a few bucks, and I thought, oh, this is kind of cool, and 
within a few years i was you know down at that museum and looking at all their stuff and was an argus nerd for a while mm-hmm. the other the other cool thing to mention about the argus museum it's the only as far as i know the only camera museum that is currently in the same building where the cameras were manufactured i mean eastman house is not it's it was um eastman's home and not part of the factory um there is no more Polaroid factory in 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 Massachusetts anywhere. anywhere yeah, and uh, so all those places. There's no there's no museum for the for the Ciro Company in in Delaware, Ohio. There's no museum for uh, any other U.S. made cameras anywhere. So I know that there are museums for for Leica's got a museum and so forth, but that's a long ways away. Check it out, Argus Museum. And me, speaking of Ciro. How do you feel about, uh, Mark O'Brien, how do you feel about we take a quick 30-second break and come back and talk about the Ciroflex DLR? Oh, that sounds like fun. We'll be right back. One good time deserves another. And you can double the fun of any day's outing with a brownie camera by Kodak. This Brownie Starmite camera, for example, is the handiest flash camera Kodak ever made. And it lets you get good pictures the first time, with no instruction at all. <laughs> no instruction at all. You can count on clear, bright snapshots in black and white or color. Even color slides you can show as big as life. The Starmite camera with built-in flash holder costs less than $12. Other Brownie cameras cost less than $7. Remember, only a brownie camera gives you so much pleasure at so low a cost. Hey, we're back. Uh, uh. Hey, uh, folks out there listening, I want to thank you for listening. We have more show. Uh, but I do want to mention who we are. My name is Michael Rosso, and we're here today with Mark O'Brien. Hello. Mark Dalzell. Hello. Leslie Lazenby. Hello. Matt Marash. <laughs> Hello. And uh, now we're going to talk about uh, a Ciroflex TLR. They're from Detroit to Delaware, Ohio to Rochester, New York. America's best TLR. Is that true? I would say so. Now, America's best. America's America. best. America. Right. And the thing with American TLRs is that there weren't very many different American companies making Which them. Which is why that's the best. There you go. <laughs> Argus, Argus made um, a TLR, the Argoflex. And they had a series of them. Only one of them, the Argoflex E, took 120 film. The rest all took 620. And so we're not even going to talk about those. Although the Argoflex E was a very competent camera, as the TLRs go. And uh, so, and maybe we'll talk about those another day. Ciro. Um, I was just—I was actually going to correct you and say, "Well, what about the graph?" But oh, yeah, Graphlex was. Yeah, we'll get zero. we'll get to yeah. that. The only other TLR that is a true TLR made in the U.S. There were a, a couple other ones. Kodak had one. It, it took 620 film, so that's off our list. They weren't nearly as popular, and also they had the Duoflexes and so forth. Mm. But those aren't real TLRs. They're box cameras with a with a reflex viewer that, that was not matched to the taking lens at all. The other one, Ansco had one. And it was a very nice TLR. It was uh, the Ansco Viking, I believe, and it was a massive chunk of metal. It was. It came out um, in the 50s. 
It was really, really expensive. It was only slightly less expensive than a Rolly. It had, most of the time they worked pretty well, but they had some issues as well. So they were not sold in large numbers. However, the Ciroflex first started in Detroit, Ciro Company, and at Water Street, Detroit, which is now part of the the location of that factory is now, uh, no, it's no longer because there's a tunnel to Cobo Hall that co- comes out um, where it used to be located. They started manufacturing the TLRs, the Ciroflex, oh, in the 40s. They originally sold for less than uh, 60 bucks. They originally were start, started in Detroit, as I said, in, on Atwater Street, then moved to Delaware, Ohio. Hey, I got a ticket there once. And, <laughs> and they were located on 425 South Sandusky in Delaware. So oh, it's, if you right want to go on drag. Google Maps, you can go find the place and go out in front of the – take a picture of the, of the old factory, which has now got other things in it. And then they were bought by Graflex in the, in the mid-'50s. Graflex bought everything and moved them to Rochester, New York. So what uh, what about the Ciroflexes? Yeah, what about it? <laughs> okay, it's a twin lens reflex, and mm-hmm. the taking lens and the viewing lens are linked because they are they they are on a pl- little platform that slides in and out mm-hmm. as you turn the focusing knob. So they're they're gearing they're geared together, unlike the Argus where you had to turn the lens mm-hmm. to make it because they had a little gearing between the top and bottom lens, like the Ricoflex is the same way. Mm-hmm. This actually has a little cam in there that moves the, that moves the lens board in and out. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a very reliable way of uh, focusing. It's the same way that Raleigh uses and mm-hmm. so forth. Yeah, it's just on the other side. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's on the other side. I think I think the righties might like that. The Ciroflex yeah, more. I always yeah. reach yeah. to the right side. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, and and that's so great. and it has. Um, they all have a, a knob wound film advance mm-hmm. with a red window in the back, so you have to look at that. It has a depth of field scale on the side, and you can see what your depth of field is at a given aperture. They have usually it's Al, an Alfax or a Raypax shutter. The Alfax tend to be one two hundredth of a second, and the Raypax up to one four hundredth of a second. They have different lenses; they're all almost all made by um, Wollensack, mm-hmm. and they are all eight, eighty-five millimeter lenses. Although the the um, Ciroflex F, I believe, had an eighty-three millimeter lens. F three point five maximum aperture, which is about what the lower end Raleigh's had. Speeds on the aperture or the shutter speeds go from um, time and bulb, so it's got T and B, as well as one second to one one four hundredth of a second, at least on the Ciroflex model C, which is what I have. They have various models A, B, C, D, E, and F. So F. Obviously, the the more <laughs> the higher the number, the the more features they had. The F was actually fully synchronized um, shutter for flash, and it had an f three point two lens. Now, the the big problem with these cameras is they are getting old, so. They have a silvered mirror for the reflex viewing, and what happens over time with these cameras is that they lose that luster. They, they, they sometimes get a little tarnished. They get dirty. Sometimes the silver, the silvering will separate from the from the matrix of, of the glass below it. Is a it's an upper surface mirror. Age related problems. Now you can go and go find one of those Polaroid cameras. Um, not the SX70 because they're kind of more valuable, but any of the uh, one-step cameras and so forth later on, they have a first surface silvered mirror in there, and you can actually take those off and cut them to size and fit them in place on the old ones here. What's that Polaroid that used the weird cartridges? 
the black Captiva? Yeah, the Captiva. Oh. I break open Captivas to get the mirrors out of them. Okay. They're good donors because they're useless anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. Sorry. And so you no can, problem. and so finding a, a, you know, people talk about, you know, using you, any mirror. You can't. It has to be a first surface mirror. And that means the reflective surface is on the upper layer. It's not behind the glass. It's over, up on top of the glass as you're looking at it. So, and if you, and it has to be thin because if you, if you get a thicker material, then you change your plane of focus on the viewing lens, which won't match up with it with the taking lens so it's one of those things you have to look out for but it, it can be done and the other problem is as these cameras are getting old they, the lenses may be hazy or or, or, di- or dirty or filthy and you can take them apart and clean them there's some really good sites online i mean these were popular cameras they made lots of them and uh, rick olison has a really good great Yay. resource yeah he, the american <laughs> tlr and he's got um, information on all the Ceroflexes and other manufacturers. That, um, Wardflex is another another brand, but that was made by Argus. One um, of them. One of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's two. Someone just gave me a Wardflex, so the other one was made in Japan. Correct. Right. So, I, and they're simple and sturdy construction. There's a lot of information available online about them. What I like particularly about the Ceroflex C that I have with a Raypack shutter, it's got a an arm to set the shutter, and then a separate arm to trigger it. On some on some of these, it's just a single lever that does where it does it with one thing. Um, you can do multiple exposures with them. There's there's not keyed into uh, any um, exposure double exposure prevention. And uh, the lenses are actually pretty good. Some of them are coated. Later on, most of them are coated, um, and they're just I think they're just uh, fantastic. Rugged TLR cameras. You might call them the art, the the brick of TLRs mm. because mm-hmm. they, although they don't have sharp edges like an like a Argus C, um, they are but they are ruggedly constructed. The loaf, the loaf. <laughs> yes, Ooh, I like it. And uh, let's see a few other tidbits. Um, it's a 120 camera, right? It's a 120 film. Okay. Yeah, they don't. They are. They're none are restricted to six 620 whatsoever, which is a good move on their part. Later on, graph when after Graphlex um, purchased them, they renamed them. There's a. They called them the the uh, the Graphlex. Which one 22. Was it? 22. 22. 200 and 22 400. One had a 200th of a second shutter. One had a 1/400th of a second shutter. So that was the only difference between them. Sort of like the Alpax and the Raypax with with Ciro's. Ciro also made another one called the Dejure Reflex. If you might find oh, those that on sounds Dejure. Dejure, yeah, the Reflex Dejure. Right. And uh, they were made by by Ciro. Ciro also made a 35 millimeter camera, which Graflex also bought. And it's called. They call it the graphic. The graphic thirty-five. Oh, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of those. And yeah. uh, they're they're you know they're sort of low end thirty-five range finders. The the Graphlex twenty-two also had one model had the gray covering, and I I had one of those. I loaned it to someone and never saw it again. Um, <laughs> the gray is is quite attractive. Fifty-seven was the last year that they stopped that they made the TLRs. So. The, these are these cameras are at least are, on average are the same age I am or older, fifty nine to sixty plus years old. I would say if you find one, check it over, make sure everything works as, as much as you can. If you get one on eBay, hopefully the sellers checked it out. But they're abundant, and so and they're also not that expensive. You can pay anywhere from fifteen to seventy five dollars for them, depending upon all the things that you typically find on eBay. This is square format, correct? Square format, 6 So by why six. have they put 
a tripod socket on the bottom and the oh, side. It is on the side. Look, are that? they different because no. one is European and one is American? No. The thing the is, if you were shooting something and you wanted to be able to look in the viewfinder oh, from the side. Very good. If, uh, because it was up high. It could be at eye level, right. You could be at eye level and do move. it. Yeah, it That's is. Okay, cool. yeah. Later on, they had that same thing, and, and they had a, a flash attachment up here. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. you could attach the flash with a screw into the same mount. Got it. Um, you but, ever shoot TLR upside down? Uh, yeah, because that was the... That's great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you can do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, I always thought that was like kind of odd, but then yeah, it made uh-huh. sense. If you were up high, you could do this. Otherwise, you'd have to have you know a ladder. A ladder to yeah. look down into. Yeah. Have, have, or just straight up and down like this. Have you ever shot a TLR upside down? Look, yeah, like in the cra- you can yeah, have. I have. Sadly, it's great because you get everyone top of everyone's heads. It's cool. It looks like you're on a dolly, and no one thinks you're shooting them. Yeah, they don't have a clue because right. a you're shooting a TLR, right. and ninety nine percent of the people have never seen one. Wow! So yeah, I would say, yeah, give Cereflex a, a, a try. If it's certainly um, if you if you find if you get one that works well, hang on to it and, and use it. And you can shoot sprockets too if you really <gasps> want to. Now's the time our sprockets family dance. Uh, sprockets, of course, for people listening, like what? You're putting 35 millimeter film in a 120 camera, so 120 cameras roll film much wider. So by sh- shooting 35, you're shooting the entire piece of film, including the sprockets. And since these have a red window in the back, mm-hmm. you have to. You normally you would have to tape. You would have to tape that over if you're using sprockets. But this has a little door oh, over the nice. back of the window, so it. it which you know makes a lot of sense because some emulsions are much more sensitive to to the light than others, and if you're, I suppose, a really sunny sunny environment and you're shooting 400 speed film or 800 speed film in this thing, it might be a good idea to do that. Again, there's no film counter on here, so you have to use a red window to make sure everything work is it lined up. And uh, what what are these going for these days? Uh, I'd say on average, probably between twenty five and seventy five dollars. Okay. Um, the Graflex 22s tend to go for a bit more because they're newer and they're, they're, if it has a great leatherette, they look really nice. I have seen some of these that people have recovered, and I saw that someone has a has – right now on eBay, they have a, a red leatherette um, kit for the – and I think I'm going to get that for this one because it, it's missing some of the, the leatherette in the front. And uh, this would look nice and red. Wow. It would look very sexy. Cha-cha. Well – very good. Thank, Thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. You folks aren't going to believe this, but it's time to go already. But Whoa. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks. Tired gang will be back. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. It is very important for you folks to write in and let us know that you're listening. Uh, for those out there spinning wax, myself and John <laughs> Fideli are hosting the Vinyl Record Podcast. You can just Google that vinyl record podcast, and we'll come up. The Google. Uh, anything what else exciting? Oh well, you know uh, it's end of March now, April first. <laughs> April Fool's on me. <laughs> uh, so I just finished uh, a month long and doing uh, doing some one on one black and white workshops Ooh. at my space at the uh, in Franklinton, which is a neighborhood of Columbus. I have a darkroom space up there until MPEX opens theirs up. Right. Uh, so now that I have a working space and I'm really used to it and I uh, just christened it with a, with a workshop, I'm opening them up to uh, to everybody out there, not just 
no longer like one-on-one stuff. I'm opening up some uh, Darkroom 101 workshops sure. and uh, some large format workshops that are going to take place over the uh, late spring and summer. So you can go to, uh, we'll have them in the show notes, just a link to the, what I got on the site. Right. And then just you can check the rest of them out at uh, mattmirage.com. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Folks, we'll see you soon. Wait, and let me add. Oh, that, that, yeah. Wait, I was just going to say. And you're going to end the episode with a Smooth Sailors track entitled Operation Gumbo Drop. For real? <laughs> oh, hey, thanks. Okay. Thank you, Nora Mark. Parker? <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go. This four to pick.
think this one's on you, dude. Huh. Who's got the Buku Dolores today? Uno Dinero. What have you got, Mr. Buckman? I got a cigarette. I got Uno Nicolette. <laughs> hey! You guys had shirts on when you came in here. Well, something happened to him, man. <laughs> Come on, Spicoli. Just put the shirts back on. You see that sign? No shirt, no shoes, no, no dice. <laughs> right. Learn it. Know it. Live it. Whoa. Just kidding. <laughs>